Listen to better music and listen to music better. Welcome to True Tunes at 45 RPM, the short form version of the ongoing conversation you'll hear on the True Tunes podcast and in the digital pages at truetunes.com. And now your host, John J. Thompson. Hello. You know we love the choir around here. If you missed our full conversation with them a while back, you should go check that out. But when we heard that they were working on a reissue of their game-changing 1988 album, Chase the Kangaroo, it occurred to Bruce and I that maybe we should pull together a special 45 RPM episode to help get the word out about their Kickstarter campaign and to celebrate one of our favorite records. And since we're the bosses around here, guess what we've done? I had a chance to talk with Steve Hindelong and Derry Darty about that very album back in 2020 for a special Jukebox Takeover episode that we did that focused on four critically important albums. Gretchen Goes to Nebraska by King's X, The Turning by Leslie Phillips, American Recordings by Johnny Cash, and of course, Chase the Kangaroo. We used part of this conversation back then, but not all of it, until now. So. Bruce revisited that original conversation, chose some stuff that has never been heard before, and cut together a special reflection on this classic LP. Thinking back to the, the early days, did you have a, a plan in mind for what you wanted to do? I don't know if we had a plan. As far as my, my perspective on it, I, I grew up playing music my whole life in church. So for me, it was just, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in a band and then saw these other bands happening and just, you know, wanted to be in a band. And my dad wouldn't, you know, my parents, would, if I was a preacher's kid, they're not gonna let me go playing a bunch of bars at 15 or 16, you know, so it was just this natural progression of what, what I was doing in church. In the beginning, it was kind of Derry's thing, you know, Tim Chandler, our bass player, we went to college together, and uh, he introduced me to Derry, and we were just kind of backing up Derry at first, you know, and he had these, this connection with Maranatha music, and Derry was an engineer, a live sound engineer, and also a, a studio engineer, and had relations with people like Danny Lamus and so forth. So we just kind of got involved. You know, I was just kind of a drummer for Derry at first. Like Derry, I came out of a, a church scene, and it was very natural to play those kind of venues and get become part of that scene. We became part of that scene of bands like Undercover and Alter Boys and The Lifters and Crumbacher and 
sort of that early 80s new wave sort of thing that was going on. We, we became part of it. It was very natural for us. But pretty quickly, we realized we didn't fit that. We didn't want to write those kind of songs. We didn't want to write just ministry songs. We didn't want to be a Christian band. And we figured that out. We started out as, as that, but I think we figured out pretty quickly within the second or third album that, that we just didn't, we wanted to write songs about whatever, you know, and, and we weren't fans of Christian music per se, a few groups maybe, but I always wanted to write lyrics. And um, I started doing that more and more. They were just about what was happening in our lives. And some of it might have had to do with faith, and a lot of, a lot of it didn't. God the bond, faith is not a lie. Yours is written in the sky. Lucky stars vanish with the night. See what shines by morning light. Your love is more than words, listen to her eyes. If your love is more than words, listen to her eyes. Read her tears like pages, hold her when she cries. If your love is more than words, listen to her, listen to her. This evolution of Derry predominantly writing the music and the creating the soundtrack and you writing the lyrics, um, when did that evolve? Like, how, how long into your work together did that formula sort of fall into place? I wanted to be a lyricist. I was an English major and a poet, little, you know, a little poetry kid, you know, and I just was very assertive, I guess, in that way. Mm. Uh, right from the beginning, and so on the EP, um, I just jumped in, and um, Derry just kind of allowed for it, and, and we got really good response, mm -hmm. and I think we just realized, uh, I mean, Derry was gracious to kind of let me do that. I often wonder, I mean, in uh, bands and stuff, it's kind of like a marriage in that you can have this codependency, and it does, I think I wonder what, what would have developed uh, for example, I can't work anything technical. I can't even find the light switch. I don't I have any aptitude because Derry was an engineer from the very start. So I didn't have to twist any knobs or flip any levers. you know. So I, to this day, did not develop any engineering skill, even as a producer and all that. I just didn't. Uh, I think that was because of my reliance on Derry. And I think in the same way with lyrics... Jerry probably, if it wasn't for me, would have evolved in that way. But yeah, I just sort of took it over early on, and I, I loved, loved to do that. That's kind of my gift. Honestly, English was not my greatest subject. In fact, my, when I was a senior, my, uh, I almost didn't graduate because my English teacher said I was possessed by the devil. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Wow. She gave me an incomplete. I guess the devil possession gets you an incomplete. <laughs> so not I had to quite take, enough. Yeah, so I had to she go. She doesn't take want this, vengeance coming. Yeah, I had to take a test. I had to go in and take this test for me to graduate. Just because you had red hair. Was it a Christian school? Yeah. Bad small, religion right from the start. Small Jeez, Christian man. school. Yeah. So anyway, I I was more than happy, you know, because I love good lyrics. Ashes, what fools read. 
the kangaroo there was such a shift into stuff that was both sonically and lyrically invitational into an experience and less didactic less less specific you trusted me enough to come to my own conclusions Mm -hmm. what was going through your hearts and minds as you approached that record? What allowed you, what encouraged you to take those turns sonically, musically, and lyrically uh, to do something that was such a left turn, not just for you, but for our whole community? Well, that was the first one that we really produced ourselves. I mean, that was when we really kind of took control of things. And we had opened our studio and we had gone through, you know, the first record with a producer, then the EP we kind of did on our own, but didn't really turn out exactly the way we wanted it. And then with Charlie, then this one, we just kind of said, you know what, we we know enough now about what we're doing that we want to just try this and try and take control over it. It was very experimental and it took a long time, way longer than any other records, yep. many months. Um, we were just trying to learn how to write together and create still together, Derry and me. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't always agree with everything. And and the record label still thought we were going to have a producer. They thought we were doing demos. They thought we were doing demos. And we did the whole record basically as a demo. And then I think we almost we re-recorded it, a lot of it. We just we kept, did. We were trying to get it right, and we were very. I think we were just trying to make a record that we liked. We did. We were trusting yeah. our own instincts, and we decided we we're, we're we, the record label didn't come around much. And then in the end, we said, the record's done. And they, they said, no, wait a minute. We thought these were demos. And we said, no, this is our record. Yeah. Um, and, and we were out of money, too. We used the budget. Yeah, oh, and we took, we, it was the first time we could take our time. You, you know, before you go in the studio and you've got your budget and it goes to everybody but you. I will say that's a big luxury that we had because Derry was an engineer and he had a studio. So for me, I'm so grateful because, and that's how I ultimately I became a producer and stuff, but I owe that to the fact that Derry had this studio always where we could work unlimited time. Mm-hmm. And so real luxury, almost no bands have that. No, We could work day and night and, you know, it wasn't fair to Derry, you know, but... <laughs> well, no, no, but it was a unique situation though because we could just do whatever we wanted. And during that period of time, especially, the studio was a real creative hub for a lot of people. Like, we would come in and, re- 
record during the day up into the evening, and then Gene Eugene would come in and record all night, or somebody else would come in and record right. all night. Ten songs by Adam again was recorded simultaneously mm-hmm. with um, with Chase the Kangaroo. Mm-hmm. He worked by wow. night, and we worked by day, and that's why Gene ended up engineering for us, mm-hmm. and I ended up playing, you know, percussion and writing some lyrics with Gene, and we just overlapped into each other's world. Right. Yeah, we'd be coming in in the morning, and then Gene would be wrapping it up. Yeah. Joe Taylor was around. He was doing stuff there. The his, their thing was going with not undercover, but they were doing. He was producing like level heads. He did that, that and some other stuff. And it was a it was an interesting time. I mean, it was a lot of stuff going on, but it allowed us to kind of learn how to do what we did because we didn't we weren't on the clock. I walk from this sleep only to find fantasy. Then I close my eyes. I tripped on reality Thought that I had silver Thought that I had gold So sure of my desire I thought I had touched desire And we didn't know it was, I mean, I mean, things like clouds, you know, that whole thing where, where it breaks down for a whole minute of just wash and crazy, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know where that came from. I mean, that was Derry was always into the ambient thing way before it became a genre. Yeah, yeah we would we would just it was great because you you know you had twenty four track analog tape and you turn the tape over and try and figure out how to play something backwards that was going to sound right when it came out the other way, you know, or something. I mean, it it was a lot of time spent doing that stuff. And also just a lot of pressure, like our lives are on the line, you know, and you're you're in your mid twenties and and uh, you just don't think if if you don't succeed or, or whatever succeed means, I don't even know what succeed means, but to keep getting to do it, mm-hmm. to, to be able to do it good enough that you get to keep doing it. And I think that we were really, I know, I was completely shocked and amazed that people responded to it like they did. And just the critical re- reception was so good. And, and, and we felt, I think Derry and I at the end of it, because there was a lot of creative tension in the process, because we like different things, you know, and, but then in the end, when we, we definitely succeeded creatively, Oh yeah, no and doubt. so we felt. Look what we did, look what we did, and then I, from then on, I feel we had confidence as a creative team from that point on. Yeah, uh, and no looking yeah. back. No, there was no looking back, at, and we weren't going to have any other producers from then on or anything. We yeah. knew what we wanted to do. Yeah, that was that was definitely the, that time. The blood Black skies with fire 
and Gene, you know, Gene engineered like even with the song Consider, we had done it one version of it and then Gene was the one that said, "Man, let me track this." He says, "Let's do this again. Let me track it." We put moved your drums out of that little room, the little ISO booth into the big room, and Tim was in there playing, you know, and and Gene just like did just did it. He, he wrapped that mic around my neck. Mm-hmm. I had a mic hanging from my chest. That mm-hmm. square. What was that thing up? It was a pi, uh, PZM, like a square it. little thing. He wrapped the cord around my neck and hung it on my chest, mm-hmm. and that was the overhead that gave it that weird pr- ambient presence. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like really great because it was drummer perspective. Right. It sounded like what I'm hearing. Right. If you listen in, in headphones too, you can hear sometimes when you're doing your fills or whatever because you're leaning a certain way and you hear it kind of phase over this way a little bit and then phase back with that thing on my ch- and it was just yeah, Gene was a real uh, creative dude no he was no doubt about it uh, and yeah. great ears he just had ears Steve Griffith came down and he mm-hmm. he mixed mixed some of it. He no, he mixed Circle Slide, but but he did. Well, he didn't. He do. Uh, he played bass on he, Clouds, right? He played. Ba- he engineered for because our engineer went to Japan. Remember? That's right. Dave went on tour with Donna Summer, Dave right. Ackworth. So we needed somebody. So Steve came down and mm-hmm. he engineered some and he sang some harmony and played some bass. He played bass on Clouds for sure. Yeah, but we liked him so much we hit it off with him. Mm-hmm. So that we he, we ended up bringing him into mixed circle slide. That's right. That's what it was. Right. But I think um, I think Mark Hurd mixed a lot of it. Mark Hurd oh, mixed some of it. I mixed a couple things. You on mixed it. some of it. Gene mixed some of it. Gene mixed some of it. You three guys mi- mixed. Yeah, that's right. Different songs. Yeah. Working through friction instead of avoiding it, mm-hmm. not going in with 
upfront expectations for certain kinds of commercial market success that you don't believe in anyway, <laughs> uh, as far as what you were talking about with radio. And then a community of people that are also bought into what you're doing and, and working with that community of people. Right. And then the advantage of time and resources and space that, mm -hmm. that all of those things kind of conspired together to right. create that moment. Especially looking back on it, if we would have gone in to do Chase Kangaroo with a producer, we would not have made that record. It would have been a completely different record. Absolutely, that's and, absolutely right. And I don't think it would have been nearly as good, no matter who was producing it. I don't think it would have been as good. We had to be able to kind of go in and flop around and flail and fail and succeed, you know. And and then and and we were fortunate too because our A and R guy Tom Willett was he was behind us a hundred percent, and he just kind of left us alone, even though he thought we were going to still get a producer. He just kind of left us alone. Nobody gave Mark McCain any trouble. They knew the Rifleman was his part. I saw Lucas on one of those quit smoking commercials. It must be, it cool, must be cool to have an iron jaw. You know, we make the record company the bad guys sometimes, the Christian record label, blah, 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 you know. Uh, and the industry is what it was, but we had really good people. We had great relationships with, I mean, oh, so absolutely. many people, our managers. Yeah. And our, I mean, we had this guy, a new radio guy named Chris Hauser at Murr, and he was such a fan, and he was so determined to get that song Clouds on radio. Mm -hmm. It's a six minute, crazy, <laughs> slow yeah. song. He believed in it so much. Mm -hmm. um, of course, he's learned a lot since. He's one of the, the yeah. you know, the main radio pro, you know, uh, promoter. promoter guys yeah. uh, out there, and just he's just a wonderful guy. Love him so much, and he he had a heart for our music.
but but you're right. Our our music did find an audience somehow. Not a huge audience, but it resonated with some people, and they've stayed with us for decades. So it depends on how you look at it. You know, we you could look. Sometimes I think we're absolute complete failure. How how could you be a band for 35 years and have so little success? Well, why would you keep doing it? You know. But on the other hand, it's like, wow, it, it, look at these people that have carried our songs in their hearts for decades and are still lit, loyal and with us. So it just depends on how you look at it. <laughs> guys depending on when you're hearing this show you may still be able to join us in supporting the kickstarter campaign you can find the link on the show notes page for this episode at truetunes.com kangaroo or you can hit up thechoir.net the choir also has a fantastic patreon program that you should check out Run Out Groove is coming, and that means it's time to go. If you dig the show, please subscribe and spread the word. Also, please leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our email list at truetunes.com. Follow us on Facebook at TrueTunesNow, and find and follow our weekly Spotify gallery stage mixtape. And you can support this show through our patreon.com slash truetunes community or via a one-time tip linked on the show notes page. Tell your friends about the show, post it on your socials, and let us know what you think. True Tunes at 45 RPM is produced by John J. Thompson and Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions and is intended for the private use of our listening audience. The contents are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. Thanks for listening. Cheers. We'll see you next time. No dreams will e'er be shattered by dark or dreary days.